0: Welcome to episode five of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I am so happy you're joining me today. The podcast is available on many different platforms. And before we jump onto The Playground, please do subscribe to The Playground Project for tips on how to create a mindful career and life. I told you last time that I would be welcoming a mystery guest onto the episode. I am deliciously excited to welcome my friend and former coworker worker Marg Miedema, to the Playground Project. During today's Career Connection chat, Marg and I are going to be talking about her career that morphed from a STEM foundation to one of fundraising and philanthropy. Marg is the Director of Philanthropy and National Partnerships with the Canadian Blood Services, And you can find her contact information in today's show notes for today's episode. Marg, thank you so much for being part of this whole experience. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm just thrilled to be here. Yay. And we've been
0: friends, some context here, since 2001, I'm thinking? Yeah. So let's say a good 20 when we worked together. Yeah. Not just friends, right. but former colleagues. That's right. That's right. And we met at Encounters with Canada, a program for young people all across the country to come to Ottawa for a one-week stay and learn about Canada and different institutions and, and different themes. And you were the alumni officer?
1: Yes. They had been going for 20 years and wanted to send up a set up an alumni association. So I came on board to, to set that up. Yeah. After 20 years, they wanted to just bring together the, the youth that had been through the program and keep them engaged, re-engage them. And it was a bit of a foray, I think, into fundraising. They wanted to expand some of the programs, expand the facilities. I remember Jim, gym, gym was a big part of it. So yeah, it was, it was inter- an interesting project, an interesting position for sure.
0: Well, and, and I like that you gave a big, a great segue to the fact that you are now Director
1: of Philanthropy at Canadian Blood Services. I And, am indeed. and national partnerships, I may add. So the partnership group has just, uh, has joined my my team about a year ago. And so we're working on integrating the, the two functions. And yeah, it's very exciting. Wow. Okay. Well, you better tell LinkedIn that. I will. Okay. I'll get right on that.
0: All right, then. So, you've been this philanthropy and, and a lot of leadership right now, and you were, when we knew each other, working together, you know, alumni, officer, and I remember you very much writing. Communication was, was very strong in what you were doing, and I can, can remember having conversations down in your office. So, what were you really good at? Let's go back to high school for a sec. What were you really good at, enjoyed, and felt an affinity towards?
1: Oh, great question. Sports. <laughs> Let's be honest. Wow. You know, I really was into sports. I really enjoyed the aspect of team. You know, it was team sports, not individual sports. And, and you know, things like basketball and field hockey and, and ice hockey and track and whatever, although track's a little bit individual, but Sports. I think, uh, in terms of subject matter, I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed all subjects. To be honest, I mean, I and I took a range from music to science, and and of course everything that you know you normally have to take, like English and French and geography and history, but I, like I enjoyed them all. But coming out of high school, I think I really was, had that bent towards science and then ultimately ending up with the interest in chemistry, probably because that's the one that I did the best in. So I did the best in. But yeah, I think the, indus- the, the interest in chemistry was there. And uh, that was kind of, you know, what I would say was my first career, the before children career. So as a, as a woman who got married and had kids, I had my career before the children came along and then mm. took a break for nine years to be a stay-at-home mom and then took a bit of a right turn in, in my career. And after my kids, I was in a, a different career. But my first was basically around chemistry, and that was what I really enjoyed, I think, in, in high school and beyond. Okay. So, I, I have to ask, were you good at math? I was. you know and, and then that leads into physics and I didn't really like physics very much. I was good at math. I, I really kind of enjoyed solving the problems and trying to out how to get from point A to point B or whatever. But you know the chemistry part of it, I think was was more sort of the hands-on lab work, like that practical, things that I that I enjoyed and what happens when you put element A with element B and and kind of that kind of thing that I found fascinating. So you know, yes, math is a part of it, but but I think it was more sort of that hands-on doing something with science kind of thing that I enjoyed.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So because I knew
1: you kind of A.D., after daughters? After daughters, yep. Not B.C., before children, but A.D., after daughters, yep. What, do, what were you up to, B.C.? What was I up to, B.C.? Yeah. Before kids? I was, I was working um, to my first job at a school was with a crown corporation called Eldorado Nuclear. They were mining and refining uranium. They're now chemical Mining Mining Corporation. They, yeah, and we, I was in their research and development labs. And so doing a lot of analytical chemistry and ensure, looking at the level of uranium in various sediments or w- wastewater or various other elements. So, yeah, working hands-on in the lab as a lab tech. Did you like it? I did. I did. I liked it very much. I liked the, you know, it was a, at the time when I was hired, it was, you know, a, a bit of an expansion in the lab. So a lot of people coming out of school were, were hired at that point in time. And, and so it was fun. It was sort of that fun family of everybody working, even though you had a specific station and, you know, different project or whatever, but we were all kind of together in this big lab environment. It was a lot of fun and and then I moved over to the National Research Council and uh, worked there. So I think that was probably the pinnacle of my chemistry days. I worked there for, uh, for six years until I went on maternity leave. And that I found really fascinating. And the one thing that I, that I took away from my time at National Research Council was from my boss, who was a wonderful, wonderful man, world renowned scientist. And I remember asking him, who are the professionals? And coming from El Dorado, the professionals were the people with the PhDs and whatever. And then the rest of us were almost sort of extensions of the instruments kind of thing. I remember I got once introduced to a visiting scientist as the leco-sulfur analyzer. And I was like, but that's the machine. <laughs> but anyway, over at NRC, I was working for Dr. Berman and, and he was like, what do you mean, who are the professionals? You're all professionals. And, you know, I just sort of said, but who are the people with, with the PhDs? Like, I wanted to know, like, who was leading the various projects? That's not what I asked. I asked, who are the professionals? And he said, you're all professionals. You're all, you've are all you all been hired to do a job. I'm not expecting you to do the same job as one of the PhDs who are leading some of these research. And, and I'm not uh, expecting them to do something that somebody else would be doing. But You're all professionals in your in your own worlds, in your own, you know, you bring your experience and your expertise. And and that was a really enlightening moment for me. And that that stayed with me throughout my career, that people bring to their roles a level of professionalism, their expertise, their knowledge, their experience. And everybody plays a role on a team. Everybody has something to add in their role and in a team situation at work. I find
0: that a very empowering thing that he that he shared with you?
1: Oh, hugely, hugely. I came from, like I say, I came from an organization that at the time was, these people are the professionals. And ah. you kind of thing. to someone who was just, you're all worthy. You're all, you know, it's, it's it really has stuck with me. It absolutely has stuck with me. People ask me who had the most impact on you as a leader, as a boss or whatever. And he's the man that immediately comes to mind because of that. And I remember saying to him, I, and I studied for that exam. You know, I was like, Oh, I've been three years out of school. I've been, been in the workforce for three years. I really want this job. And I studied for that interview like crazy. And he did not ans- ask me one science question. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And so when I got hired, I said, I, I just have to say, like, like I really studied for that interview and you didn't ask me any science questions. And he said, but you were coming from a science a science job. And you had education inside. So like, I would just, I needed somebody to fit into the team. And I'm looking for fit, because anybody can learn the skills, but not everybody can fit in. And if I want to have a team that's going to function you know, a high functioning team where people are working together and having their backs and I, I needed somebody to fit in. And I was like, I know this is in the 80s. This is uh-huh. sort of in the, you know, in the era of, of the internet where you can, you have all kinds of resources and learn how to be a leader and let's take these courses on how to interview and what to look for. Like it was, but he just innately knew that, you know, look for, look for fit.
0: And I just wrote down, train for skill, hire for fit, because that's often what you hear is that that's what organizations want, and yet it's that very elusive fit. Have you ever not been offered a job because you weren't the right fit that you know of?
1: Not that I know of. I think, I mean, I think, to be honest, I've only ever interviewed for one job that I didn't get. And I think that that, to me, is it's kind of on me or as a candidate to research to make sure that the organization is a fit for me, right? So your values have to be aligned. We talk all the time about having your values aligned and being true to yourself and and whatever. And, you know, you just do your research. And I think at the time, the one interview that I went through, I had been laid off from a position and it was the one that I went to after Encounters and it was a think tank that was supposed to be you know non-partisan however it was funded by the federal government at the, at the time and had been for a number of years when the government changed then the incoming government cut a lot of funding to various think tanks and so the writing was on the wall right i was there as a fundraiser to help diversify the funding uh base and if you're going to lose your government funding like the writing's on the wall, the fundraiser's going to be the first to go. So on, in an intellectual level, I knew that, but it still stung, you know, like it was like, what do I do now? And I, because we had a young family, and I was like, I need a job, and need to, you know, whatever. And so I think I didn't go through the grieving process of and that process of needing to evaluate where it is i want to go and where what type of organization I want to work for and what is it i'm looking for at this point in my life I didn't go through any of that it was just i need to get a job i can't be at work i need to get a job we have a family to run. and so i interviewed and it was an awful interview i did so terribly like it, when i walked out and i just thought oh my gosh i wouldn't have, i wouldn't hire me i just was not enthusiastic or, you know, I didn't do my research like I normally would. Like it was just everything bad about it. So I haven't ever really put myself in a position to, other than that, to look in a, you know, look at an organization that wouldn't be a fit.
0: So I'm listening to this and and what I'm hearing you say is that you had enough self-awareness to understand that it wouldn't have been a good fit because you didn't do all of the the research that you normally do because you are a a pre- prepping person you didn't give your you didn't do your best and it feels like again from that blue perspective there was a sense of desperation you you would just take anything but you also have to understand you meaning one in general is that the organization needs to hire the the right fit for for them and so it needs to be the right fit for both people for the organization and for you. As I was listening, my head went straight to my Duke of Edinburgh interview. I'm just laughing at the idea that I even went for a job interview with the Duke of Edinburgh, that you have to be active and all of this kind of stuff, because that would have been more up your alley. And (laughs) it's that idea of knowing your values, knowing what's important to you, knowing where you are most comfortable operating from. And, and moving towards that. I, I remember your career. So you did get a job after the think tank. Yeah. And then how did that progress?
1: So, yeah. So I went, when I went back into the workforce after my nine years at home as a stay-at-home mom, I was in, my husband was in the independent school system, which is where I also went to went to high school. So I knew the independent school system. So I, I did actually take on some a role at the time when my kids were young just a very part-time role around bringing together you know the old boys and the old girls association into an alumni association. So I did have some background in 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 the alumni association. We lived at, at this at these schools where I was involved as a basketball coach with the boys and the girls the students at the school I was involved as a house mother which is the the you know parent out on campus if you will of the for the day students so I was involved with youth and with with kids so if you look at if you take a step back and look at sort of the the roles that I have had most of them have been involved in some way with youth right so after the think tank which I was a very close but again that was like a okay, I'm leaving Encounters with Canada because, you know, there's not going to be any money to fund this position. The Alumni Association took a role that was very different with the think tank, but it was, it was, I found it the challenge around using for a think tank. It's it's a little challenging oh. needless to say. And, but from there, then I went to a, a small nonprofit helping youth with addiction issues. So again, again with the youth component. And I, I really enjoyed that. It was, it was people who really believed in their mission, were very driven to help these kids. Families were involved. It was, it really just felt like a big family of, of helping helping these kids. So I went there as the development to raise money to fund the programs to help those kids. And And I found that that was very fulfilling and I quite enjoyed it, It, but it was a maternity leave contract. And at the end of that one, though, they did offer me the permanent position. They were moving locations to the other side of the city. Out, You know, I live in the East End. They were moving Uh way out to the West End and I had, my kids were still young and I just sort of thought... I didn't stay home for nine years to raise my children to suddenly be on the road from seven in the morning to seven at night and not be there for them either in the morning or at night. So it just, from a geographical perspective, didn't align with my family values and what I thought was important for my kids and and my husband and myself as a family at that time. So I left that one and went to the Y, Y Y YMCA, YWCA, and again, helping people, helping Youth helping, like there's a second stage housing a component for youth, and and you know the, the daycare, so various programs at the Y. So I was there as a fundraiser as well with the campaign. So director of their campaign. So I was there for a few years, three, three and a half years or whatever, and then went over to where I am now. Yeah, yeah. Huh, ah, okay. So Could have all been the fundraising part of it. I think has really. This is the only. The only position I've had in the healthcare sector. So totally new to me, crossed my desk, and I was not interested because I was happy at the Y and where to whatever, and then came back and said, you know, really take a look at this. And anyway, I did, I, you know, the second time where I kind of looked at it and read it. And, and I think it was the marrying of the science and the philanthropy part, right? So I got hired to head up a fundraising campaign to raise $12.5 million of in, in a certain length of time to build the cord blood bank. And so to me, the whole science behind cord blood banking and stem cell transplants and like all fascinating. So it really married that science and, and what I'm doing now kind of or what I was doing at the time. So that yeah, it was, it was kind of appealing to me. So that's why I kind of went for it.
0: Wow. And geographically, it was better.
1: Oh, 100%. Just down the street, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow.
0: Okay. I'm just, I, when I'm thinking about the true colors, cause you know, I live in the true colors. Yeah. I'm seeing green and orange. I see that the green with that critical thinking and the yeah. orange with how that you enjoyed all the, the activities and stuff. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. I, but I also, I mean, it's that way, but I think that there are some times when You know, I've had I've had colleagues sort of say, I'm so glad that you're at the director table because you will speak truth to power. Right. You will. You will. And and even though I try my best to be diplomatic, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I just need to say this. But, you know, it's the realist. It's the realist, you know, right. It's the realist in me. It's like I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm just going to, you know. I think that you're this wonderful mixture of so many of these
0: colors. And when it comes to the Riasic, the Holland Code, I definitely can see the realistic, the investigative and the social parts of you. And I applaud the fact that you bring yourself and bring your authentic self and speak truth to power, because that's the way that things get done in the world.
1: You know, I mean, I. I have to say that it does take a while especially as a woman in the workplace to get be comfortable to do that right like like I I'm not sure I would have been comfortable to do that in my 40s or even in my 30s right so you go through the various stages and phases of life you do get comfortable but but I think that I think that's part of the journey right that's part of the part of your journey through your career right you get to learn what are your values you get to learn your likes and dislikes change all the time right like you know 100 like if i looked at okay what did i want to do when i was 20 what did i like to do it's certainly not the same as what i liked or wanted to do when i was 50 kind of thing right so so the likes and dislikes change but the underlying value system the underlying what motivates you? What, what's that common thread through your life? I think that that's something that, again, you talked about being self-aware. and, and you know maybe in your 20s you're not, you' not know, you're not really attuned to what that thread is going to be, obviously. but it's really interesting to stop and, and think about it and analyze and, and become self-aware and do some critical thinking around where you want to go and, and really prepare, prepare yourself. And, and you're right, it takes work. But, you know, I wouldn't, if, if you would even ask me if I'd done any of that work, I would say absolutely not, like, not at all. But recently, you look back on it, and you go, okay, I understand now, I, I see all of those threads I see. And and it does, you know, it, it takes a it does take some self reflection. Yeah. And I think that that the thread is,
0: is really cool to be able to to look at it. And even just hearing you speak about, about it. And I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm seeing strategy and you may not have, you may have been an accidental strategy taker. Like you, you may not have sat down and said, okay, I'm going to be really strategic about this. But the very fact that you thought so much about like the, the geographic challenge of, of working from seven to seven and being out of the house, that's, that's really relevant. And I admire you for taking such a strategic approach to your career and and really a mindful career development journey so far. And I, I find that very inspiring. And you operate from authenticity.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate That's how that. I, feel. I, I appreciate that. I You know, it's interesting to hear you say that because I would say that even ten years ago, if I had said, when people always say, "Okay, you know, when you're getting performance conversations or whatever, where do you want to be five years from now?" I'm, I don't know, like I don't know. I didn't. I never had any lofty goals. I never wanted to be a whatever, like that type of thing. But if, but if I look at sort of what I've done and and what I like to do. So even coming back to being a basketball coach, right? It's like, you have to look at the talent that you have on your team and maximize it, right? And inspire people to work together, inspire people to bring their best all the time, to practice and to games and and to understand that everybody on the team plays a role and you may not be the high scorer this game, you may not ever be the high scorer through the season, but your role when you're in the game is as important as somebody else's kind of thing, right? And so for me, even that is strategy, right? It's as a coach, you're strategizing who to put in where, what, you know, trying to keep, you know, little Johnny motivated and, and praise, you know, little Eddie, you know, but not overly too much, because that's going to demotivate, you know, and so Even that piece from a strategic perspective is not something that I would have thought about as purposefully strategic when I was going through it as a younger person. But now I really lean on that to look at the teams that I've been leading at Canadian Blood Services and really sort of maximizing the talent, you know, pulling together development plans to make sure that people are feeling challenged and they're developing as a as a person and as an employee and and all of that is strategy right all of that is strategic moving moving a team together towards a goal and and moving the organization forward you know beyond sort of you know the strategy work of your department and your objectives and all of that sort of thing. But I find that fascinating, and that's the stuff that I really enjoy. And, and so, you know, I always say, "Oh gosh, I have no idea about strategy." And then I think, "I no, actually, you know, I, I think I do." And it's that analyst part of me, right? Like you mentioned, it's the investigation and analyzing. And I think that that then that thread there's the science part, right? I love it.
0: So you mentioned being influenced and inspired by that Dr. Burnham? Dr. Shire Berman. I mean, he does sound pretty darn fantastic. I have to say anybody who can be able to have that kind of an attitude, especially back then with that leadership and everything. And I think that when young people think that women, especially young women, are going to hear this discussion. And I think they're going to you know, glean a lot from it. I am inspired by you and how professional you are. And I wonder, apart from Shire, Dr. Shire Berman, who
1: inspired you? Oh, gosh. Hard questions. Thank you. Do you, do you mean like who inspired me professionally, personally, throughout my life? Throughout your life, like who do
0: you who do you think about as someone who you thought, I really appreciate this person for doing whatever they did or however they did things?
1: I think I have a number of people who have inspired or who I find inspirational. I think there's a difference. Mm. I find there are a couple of people who I, I very much admire and, and I find are very inspirational. If I... I was asked a question, this same question, I think maybe not too long ago, a few years ago, and I never really thought about it in terms of having an who inspired me to have an impact on me as a fundraising professional, because quite frankly, I never really ever set out in my life to be down this path, this career path. So I can't really, you know, everybody, so, but, they, you know, I can't even, Brene remember Brown, Inspired by her, and all oh, I, various people who have these wonderfully inspirational talks and TED talks and whatever. But I do. I mean, I do. I find I found a number of, of people in my personal life inspirational. And when I was asked that question, you know, around who inspired you to, whether it's get into fundraising or become a fundraiser or whatever, I really. It took me a little while, but I came up with my dad and. I think some people may think that's a little corny, right? People always thank their parents for what they've done and you've, you're inspiring and whatever. You know, I look at it and I think, you know, my dad grew up in, in Newfoundland, left school as, as soon as he could, but married my mom, who was a teacher, became a teacher. So education was very important to them and want better for your children than you had for you or whatever. So like it was in, it was important to my dad as well, even though he... Who didn't finish school but he, he was an empathetic person he was a person who understood and appreciated and loved people around him and gave back to his community and gave to people in the community who, who had less than we did and and we didn't have much either growing up in northern newfoundland i mean it was, but i think just his way of helping people without being flashy without anybody knowing that he did it Allowing the person and people that he that that he's helping to have their dignity. It wasn't done in a loud manner. It was just a matter of fact that he un- knew that somebody was in need and and he would help them and go on about his everyday life sort of thing. And I think that just seeing that and seeing the way that he treated everybody with dignity and respect has really had an impact on on me and the way that I've lived and getting into philanthropy and. And understanding that people just want to help others. People want to help solve a problem. They, you know, yes, it's great if they give money if I, you know, if I'm the fundraiser, but they give their time, talent, or treasure, right? Somebody who's giving advice and giving, you know, volunteering and sitting on a board or sitting on a committee and and you know, doing graphic design pro bono, doing some editing pro bono, helping somebody write a proposal, like all of these things that people can bring their. Their talents to the table to help build a better society and and to help people in need and without being flashy about it and without without taking credit you're not there to take credit you know you're not it, yes it makes you feel good I mean at the end of the day we all want to work on something that makes us feel good we want to you know we want to feel fulfilled we want to you know ensure that what we're doing is meaningful and, and all of that but it's not the flashiness that comes with that it it really is the contributing to something in any way that's meaningful and what's meaningful to you that that helps helps a, another person or another group or another organization or or whatever and i think that that's kind of what my dad taught me um just by showing right you, you do it by leading by example and it's not something that you know as a rebellious teenager I would have picked up on. But as a an older and wiser person, <laughs> you know, you can look at that and say, yeah, that was a value that was in that was instilled across our family. Wow. Wow. Uh what was your dad's name? George. George. George Nickel, right? George Nickel, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Uh the two names in my family, because Newfoundlanders Once we get to a name in a family, that's it. So the two names were George and Bill. So the oldest son was George and the second son was Bill. So I have a brother, George, and a a brother, Bill, and I have an uncle, Bill, and I had a grandfather, George, and a father, George, and a great-grandfather, George, and yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's that's a lot of Georges and Bills. A lot of Georges and Bills. And then my dad had a family later in life. So my Uncle Bill, they all thought that dad would never have any kids. So my Uncle Bill, in his wisdom, named his first son George because they had, you know, so I also have a cousin, George. And then my brother came along and he's George. So, you know, there's a lot of them. <laughs>
0: Are people still in the same place? Because that would be incredibly confusing.
1: No, 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 no. They're not the same. they've dispersed. We have we have dispersed like vapor. <laughs> <We> have, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I know it's crazy, eh? Crazy. Wow.
0: Wow. Well, I'm I'm wondering what advice would you give to someone just graduating from, from university or college, uh, or you know, somebody who's trying to kind of make a career pivot, let's say a newcomer. That they've been doing something all their career life in in one country, and now they've moved here to to Canada. And they're starting a new. What advice do you think you'd be able to give?
1: Nothing is permanent, you know. I think I think looking back at coming out of school and or even even applying, right? Applying to school. Oh, I I'm, I have to be this. This is what I'm interested in. This is what I'm going to do. And yes, I get that. You know, if you're going to invest for years and and money in the education you know system to become a doctor or a lawyer it's what you've decided to be whatever that's fabulous that's absolutely fabulous but if down the road that's not what interests you anymore don't stick with it like i would think that my advice would be do some self-reflecting do some do some research do what you like if you don't know what it is you like do something that brings you joy. And it may not be, it may be two years down the road, if it doesn't bring you joy anymore, then what does, you know? And really kind of pin it to your value system. Like, don't leave that out. Don't be untrue about who you are. And and for somebody, I think, who's young, that may be a little hard to, to do. It certainly would have been hard for me to do coming out of school and, and being young because it was kind of like, okay, you know, you need a job, you got to pay the bills, you got to pay rent, you need to find somewhere to live, you need a car to get to work, Like understand that there are pressures that are going to lead you in a certain direction to take a job that that it's going to pay the bills if you need to. I mean, that and there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your goals. Plan plan a course to continually learn. Like honestly, I do think mm-hmm. that lifelong learning really is a thing. I mean, continuously learn, continuously get better in whatever you in whatever you do, right? Whether it's a career, your your hobbies, your out you know, your outside activities or whatever. But really do what brings you joy and plan just plan to Always learn something. Like when I started fundraising, I had absolutely nothing about it, and so I and my my colleague at the time had an accident, and and I had to take on his job as well and take on a part of it. And I had absolutely no idea what to do. And I thought, well, if I need if I have to do that, I have to take a course and learn. Right? It wasn't a no, I no, I can't do it. It's like this is what's needed. There's a gap in our team. I think I can take it on, but I have to learn about it. So you take a course. You grow a network, you reach out and you get a, you know, you get a mentor, you, you know, there's all kinds of ways to learn. It's not necessarily spend a lot of money to, to take a course somewhere or whatever, but there's so many resources to, to continue to down that, you know, lifelong learning thing. And I just, to me that, that would be it. It would be nothing, nothing has to be permanent. If you don't like what it is you're doing, then make a plan to find something That you like and work towards it, and learn as you go, and learn about yourself as you go. Mm -hmm. Because as
0: fifty-ish people, you have learned a whole heck of a lot since you were in your twenties. Like that, they they say that we get better with age, and sure, there are a lot of physical stuff that happens as we get older. But that sense of of lifelong learning, that sense of self reflection, and, and hashtag self awareness journey. Um, is uh, is really really valid? I think that's something that older workers have to to add value. Like that's value that we as older people can contribute. And then that just brings up the idea of all these generations living of working together. It's I I'm I'm quite fascinated by all of the generations in in one labor force right now. And I think that if I was a young woman and I was listening to this interview and and what you have to say i would f- i would find that very empowering the idea that nothing has to be permanent and this would galvanize me into doing some internal work and understand the importance of continually learning not just about a, a course or a program or whatever but about myself and and how i can be fitting in to the different teams. And, and what I love about you, Mark, is that you took what you learned and experienced in your coaching, in your basketball coaching, and you were able to transfer it or like you say, weave it in all the way through your whole fundraising experience and, and positions and stuff. As, w- as someone who has watched you grow and continually develop, I'm inspired by and find you in- inspirational.
1: Thank you. Thank you No that's that's wonderful. I think you know I I was just sitting here thinking of, of the thing that we talked about this afternoon, the incident that I was telling you about about when I was going to go back into the workforce and being at a at a lunch.
0: That a mm-hmm. friend
1: of mine who, by the way, is one of my inspirational women and, and, and just being in a room full of women and overhearing a conversation of, of, of a couple of them talking about a recent film and they knew the director and his work and the message in the film. And, and, and me sitting there, you know, just as a, a stay at home mom who wanted to get back into the workforce and just sitting there thinking, I have nothing to contribute. I, I just don't even know where to start. Like I, I left the workforce just as computers were coming in, in the in the lab and in, you know, in the science environment. And so I was gonna be behind in that. And and I really had some a lot of self-doubt, right? I did I had, you know, my confidence was at a low and, and so I went through it, I did go through a bit of a difficult time. Like how do I reimmerse myself into the workforce? How do I get you know, and but I did. I reached out to you know my former boss at the National research Council. I went I took a course back at one of the local universities. I you know, I applied for or for a couple of jobs. I actually did get a job in chemistry. I, I was offered it in on the Friday before a long weekend and and I was really pumped over the whole weekend. And then on the on the Tuesday I, I called them up and I said, I I really have to come back in and talk about it again because and I went back and I just looked at the environment around the labs and I thought everybody is in their own little lab and they're not talking. They're just listening to the radio. And I thought, I can't come in and work eight hours a day in a room by myself. I am a social person. And Anyway, I ended up rescinding my my uh, acceptance kind of thing and 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 which was fine. and and then I went a totally different path. and I, that's that's when I got into the AD, the AD uh, after daughters uh, thing of, of fundraising, right? You will have times of self-doubt. You will have times of lower confidence. I think as a as a as a woman when we're sometimes when we're you know, questioned. We question ourselves before we answer and stand up with confidence. And, you know, that's, maybe it's a learned skill, maybe it's something that, you know, that people already have. For me, it was something that I had to learn. And in in various roles, in various other roles, I was very confident, but it just, you know, depended on the situation kind of thing. But I I do think that that is part of learning and preparing yourself and being confident in who you are. And if you're true to your values and true to yourself, then you do exude that confidence, right? That's something that we don't learn in
0: school. Yeah, very much so. It's a, it's a great segue then to know your tribe. Yeah, yeah. You knew your tribe. You knew that these this woman that you still consider an inspiration and these other women, and and the people that you reached out to, and and stuff, you knew that you could do that, and and network with people, and connect with people. Women are there to help other women, and I think that's what is is really important in our hashtag Me Too, you know, world. Like we need to be there for each other, and we need to know who our community is and who we can reach out to. I I've been able to reach out to you over many many years now, and vice versa, and um, that that strength and friendship and and sense of community is is essential so thank you mark for for being part of of my tribe and for letting me be part of yours and seeing how life goes on as the now grandmother for goodness sake and you know the joy that you have that you experience and i experience joy watching you know your facebook posts and talking to you and hearing about about the the great wonderful things that are happening in your life. So I can't thank you enough for this. This has been fantastic. And I'm looking forward to to jumping into the future together and helping other younger, you know, people kind of jump into their own futures.
1: Well, but but no no no. I just wanna okay. say thank you for inviting me oh. and, and you mm-hmm. are are one of my inspirational women as well I mean I look at all the things that all the things that you've done and you've faced your fears you know you've written a book you do this podcast you you had you too had a career change you know you know the encounters with Canada and the, the doubts what am I going to do and you know what should I stay here should I not I mean yeah like you you know so you know I think inspiration comes in a lot of different forms and and I think you're right you know just because you don't talk to somebody every every day or every week or every month doesn't mean that you know you're you aren't in the background cheering them on and and helping lift them up and being part of their community. So thank you very much for for being an inspiration in my life as well.
0: In today's episode, Marg and I talked about the role of values, inspiration, and community in mindful career development. We learned how she was able to pivot from her original career in the chemistry field by reinventing herself after she stayed at home with her daughters for nine years. She spoke of how her dad inspired her and how she really paid attention to his values as she continued to develop her career. What about you? Have you taken a strategic approach to developing your career? And who inspires you? Who do you find inspirational? Most importantly, Do you know who your community, who your tribe is, as you jump into your own future? Please join me next week for another mystery guest. I'm excited to chat with another former coworker who has taken a few different turns in her career. Thank you for spending this time with me. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. I have lots of interesting and helpful guidance, advice, and tips to help you jump into the future.